0: Welcome to the UND Aerospace Foundation Podcast, a tell-all aviation podcast on everything you need to know about flight training, and specifically our program based at Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport in sunny Arizona. You'll hear from all kinds of guests affiliated with the school, instructors, administrators, graduates, current students, and industry insiders to give you the inside scoop on everything you need to know about becoming a pilot. Thanks for tuning in to the fourth episode of the UND Aerospace Foundation podcast. My name is John Seiler, current student here at UND. Today we have a great guest on, uh, Cameron Schmidt. Cameron Schmidt completed his flight training at UND Aerospace Phoenix in May 2008 and worked as an instructor until November 2013. He's currently a corporate pilot and is here today to tell us about his story, uh, his flight training experience, and how he entered the world of corporate flying. Thanks for coming on. And sharing your story with us, Cameron.
1: I appreciate that, John, and happy to be here.
0: So, I guess uh, I always like to start off with, uh, "What is your current job?"
1: Yeah. So, my current job is, uh, as you said, a, a corporate slash private pilot is the best way to describe it. I uh, I work for a um, an owner who has a successful uh, trunking company. And, uh, they use the airplane both for business and for personal use. So I, I kind of wear two hats with that, but it's, a you know, the, the job itself is, um, you know, private slash corporate.
0: Okay. So then how does that, uh, just real quick, before we go back to the beginning, what would you, how would you explain corporate or private flying for somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about the different sectors of aviation?
1: Sure. Yeah. And it's a great, great question because, uh. You know, I think uh, coming through, you know, you are often kind of exposed through flight training to uh, really two primary routes, which are the airlines or, you know, maybe cargo. Uh, but corporate is kind of that, I feel, uh, a little bit of a, an unknown, uh, certainly in the beginning stages of anyone's, you know, flight training career. So the, the corporate private side of things, and, and they can often be the same, but, but sometimes they're specific. So, um, you know, some cases, a corporate pilot, meaning you fly for a strictly a business, you know uh, a company like you know gm or or coca-cola would be a perfect example they have a flight department they have company airplanes that they use for business purposes and you know they have their own flight department and their own chief pilot and everything that goes with that um and and you're you're strictly flying for that company only uh, the private side is is similar um but you can have it where you have private owners who you know are wealthy and they own their own airplane, and and they you know oftentimes will will use it for business as well, um, and that's more for tax purposes, write-offs, etc. Uh, but uh, they also will, will take advantage of the private side to you know go on vacations, fly their families to places, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and like I said, sometimes you can have one strictly being just corporate, and there's no private use to it, or you could have one where it's private slash business, and they use the airplane for both. Uh, okay. So that's that's kind of the best uh, best way to look at it.
0: Yeah. So do you enjoy doing both sides of it?
1: Uh, I do. I, I do. I absolutely love it. And I, and I will say that and I've done both sides of it. I, I've worked for strictly a company where they use airplane only for business use, uh, and that has its advantages. Um, certainly from a scheduling standpoint, I would say um, you 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 tend to kind of be off the hook when it comes for things like the holidays or you know. Um, well, mostly just that, but, uh, you know, and then the private side of things, um, you know, what I'm doing, I'm doing both. Um, it, it's, it all comes down to who you're working for. And I, and I would say that across the board, it, it, both from the private side and the business side, it all, so much of it just comes down to the actual employer, uh, who you're working for. Some jobs are certainly better than others. And as is with any, you know field. Uh, but working for, uh, you know, the right owners or the right company that that understands how to properly utilize the flight department, staff it, you know, how the scheduling works, put the right people in place to uh, help facilitate all that. Those, those all play a huge role in the quality of life that you will get out of a particular, you know, corporate job or private job. I've had jobs that I, you know, would never go back to, you know, uh, but I also have had jobs that I wish they never went away. So, um, you know, it just all depends.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, that's probably any industry, not not strictly specific to aviation, but working in general. Absolutely. So I'm sure we'll come back and hit on some more of that, but I want to jump back to the beginning. What was your, or where are you from and what was your, I want to become a pilot moment.
1: Sure. So, uh, I grew up, outside of uh, Seattle Washington about 30 minutes north so Washington state um, and uh, up there uh, Boeing you know has a huge presence still does uh, but uh, I would say back when I was uh I want to say maybe fifth grade you know 11 12 years old kind of that you know I would always had uh, an obsession just with airplanes like most kids do uh, but uh, it was uh, my my school we took a, a class field trip to the Boeing museum and uh it was there where you know i just was exposed to all of it. the uh, you know the fighter jets the big airplanes uh, you know uh just you name it they had it there and uh it really just kind of was captivating for me and i remember i just never lost it you know i, I brought home all the they gave us all these little handouts little little brochures of pictures of airplanes and you know the b2 bomber and the f-22 fighter jet and the 747 i mean you name it we had little, you know, little, um, pamphlets for all of it. And I just would look at them like they were the the coolest things in the world. And that's kind of what really, I think jump-started that, you know, um, passion for me. Yeah. So you've
0: got this kind of passion that started when you were young. How does that transpire to you starting flight training?
1: Uh, So that actually kind of happened, uh, You know, I want to say almost unintentionally, but, uh, you know, the way the way it all kind of fell into place uh, 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 was kind of remarkable. Uh, Basically, so in high school, you know, I I, after I graduated high school, my my senior year, um, one of my best friends came down to UND Phoenix and started school. He was a, some, he started a semester ahead of me. I took the first semester off after I graduated high school, before going to college, I'd have a shoulder surgery. And so I took the first semester off before I started anything. And, uh, that actually changed, you know, because of that, it, it changed the whole course of where I was going to end up doing, uh, with my career. But basically, uh, one of my best friends was coming down here to, to Mesa and going to school at UND. And his dad was a captain at the time for Alaska Airlines, a long-term, long-time captain. And he basically, uh, when I went down to visit my buddy uh, during one of his breaks, he, um, I came back, I saw, what they were do- I saw what they were doing here in Arizona. I was really intrigued by it. I, I had no idea that that kind of a program existed. You know, I kind of thought you had to go, You know, you had to go to the military if you really wanted to become a pilot. I didn't really know about this, you know, civilian sector, so to speak. It just wasn't really marketed, you know, in my um, in my high school or or and, you know, we didn't really have that access to information. So I I went down and visited my buddy at the Phoenix site, came home, told my parents about it. Uh, My buddy's dad took me up on an intro flight took me to Boeing field and I, you know, went up around the pattern of Cessna and et cetera, you know, did all that got my first exposure to those kind of airplanes. And, uh, you know, next thing you knew, I was, uh, I came down there right, right before Christmas with my, uh, with my parents, we took a tour and I was enrolled for the January, 2004 semester.
0: Wow. Yeah. It kind of just fell into your lap. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, cause again, it, you know, it wasn't really marketed. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, stuff like what you guys are doing here, right? With this podcast, this, that wasn't really a thing back in 2003, 2004. So, you know, we didn't have the social media platform and access that we have today. So for a lot of people, the the whole civilian side of training um, was kind of a, a real unknown sector. You know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, and you'll, and you'll get asked this as you, you know, move on through your, your career most people assume if you're in aviation that you must have had a military background <laughs> that's mm. that's still the assumption even to this day wow. so you know that's kind of how you know we were just I, I thought that's how you had to do it and you know UND was a complete eye-opener for me
0: yeah i you know i similar to you i just i i went to college in 2017 or graduated from college in 2017 got a degree Bounced around quite a bit and hit twenty six or something, and talked to my parents like I need to do something different. Or and aviation just kind of came up. My dad's my dad's dad, who I never met, was a he had his commercial license, multi engine rated, but wasn't like a professional pilot. He flew for a local bank who'd fly execs down to Florida for meetings, so he was a commercial pilot, but not in the sense of private uh, corporate, um, airlines, that kind of thing. And so my dad, I grew up with these stories of my dad telling me how he'd sit right seat and put minor control inputs. So just pitch up, pitch down, turn. Um, and it's kind of always in the back of my head. And then, you know, we were looking for flight schools and the Chandler Gilbert program came up. And I, so I thought I had to enroll, uh, in college again. And then I think I just got a call from Rex one day and he was talking to me and said, well, if you have a degree, we have an accelerated program, so you don't need to go back to college. You can just come in, do your training and get all your ratings and certificates. And yeah, similar to you, I just knew I wanted to be in Arizona, moved out here in July. And then September 1st, I'm starting flight training and it just kind of fell in my lap.
1: That's awesome! though. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just yeah, it's it's the unexpected that turns out to be the best thing that's ever happened. You know?
0: Yeah. No. Yeah, I could not agree more. Yeah. So you start flight training in uh, what was that like two thousand six ish?
1: So I started no, so I started the flight training in uh, January of two thousand four. Okay. Yep.
0: So, what do you remember about flight training?
1: So yeah, I had a I had kind of an interesting. Uh, you know, career path there with the uh, site training. I uh, I did the first. I would say from 2004, uh, and and the, the the UND site was a much different site back then than what it was now. You know, there was there wasn't uh, Rex, for example, wasn't there. Uh, we were operating out of a very small portion of an old building. You know, there was maybe five airplanes. It, it's not the the massive operation that there that exists there today. Um, so. When I started there, I you know, January two thousand four, working on my private, uh, I was quickly I quickly learned that uh A, it just wasn't gonna be as easy as I thought it was. Uh, you know, kind of being a, one of those kids that grows up, you know, kind of naturally good at s- sports and, you know, typically, you know, not not a whole lot in terms of you know, thinking it was gonna be that difficult. Uh it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a great student growing up, but I certainly thought it was gonna be uh Easier than it was, and uh, I end up, you know, I, I struggled for my first uh, two years of uh, well, a year and a half of, of flight training. Just, you know, terrible on stage checks, um, you know, uh, just getting nervous. Didn't really understand as much as I thought I should, and and it wasn't really anyone's issue other than my own, uh, which I didn't really learn and in, 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 you know, in hindsight until I actually took a break uh, and, and came back to, 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 to regroup and, and come back as a different student, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, I always say I, I was kind of a tale of two different students going through flight school. Um, and, and that's what happened. I, you know, from 2004 to about 2000, I would say maybe end of 2005 or some 2005, I pretty much just really struggled to get through it. And I got to the, I got, I was able to eke my way through after, you know, multiple attempts of at stage checks for your private, your instrument, and ultimately my, um, my commercial through the aero portion, so I hadn't gone to the multi-engine yet, but I took a break there. I stopped basically at that point, and I kind of felt like, you know what, this just really isn't, isn't working. Um, it's, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not – I wasn't even enjoying it anymore because I was struggling so much. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I took a break, and uh, I continued to go to school towards – you know, to earn my degree, but I, um, I stopped flying – and I, I, took, I want to say it was about, if I remember correctly, it was about a year off, maybe a year and some change from flying completely. Um, and I, you know, I went and kind of dabbled in the real estate world, uh, not even selling homes. I was working for a real estate agent, um, you know, and was thinking that that would be a good, uh, at, the, at that time, real estate was booming in Arizona. Everyone was getting a real estate license and everybody was making money. So I kind of thought, you know, that's what I'm going to do. But, you know, I, I quickly, uh, but I quickly came to the, to the mindset that that is nothing what I want. And I, and I, I missed it. I missed flying. I missed the, uh, the, the challenge of it, but I also just, you know, that was my dream. I wanted to be a pilot and I wasn't happy, uh, pursuing other, you know, career fields. So I, uh, you know, kind of, uh, had a little come to come to Jesus moment, as they say, where you just kind of, you know, you you wake up and you're like, you know, it's time to do this. It's time to take a different approach to it. And, uh, that's what I did. You know, I, I buckled down. I, uh, I remember talking to my parents at the time I, I, you know, I, uh, cause I was fortunate enough to have financial, you know, backing from my parents to put me through flight school, uh, which, you know, not every student has that. So I was very fortunate in that regard, but they also weren't going to pay for something that I wasn't going to, you know, p- put 110% into. So I had to talk with my parents and we agreed on a plan and agreed on, you know, I'm going to uh, I was working at the time and I was going to continue to work while I was going through you know, flight school uh, so I could pay my portion of bills and rent and all that stuff. But I just went into lockdown mode and just, you know, and at that time when I came back, that was in, I think the, I want to say maybe the fall of, um, let me figure, maybe the fall of 2007. It makes sense. Yeah, the fall of 2007, I came back and Rex had taken over UND. So everyone that I had known at that point was now gone. You know, from the instructors to the management, it was all new people, which was kind of nice because that was a clean slate for me in my mind. Um, so I came back, you know, talked with Rex, and uh, really just had uh, had a lot of support from him to come back and and you know. Just knock it out, and that's what I did. Just buckled down, started studying way harder than I ever had before. You know, reading a lot of different material, cross-referencing stuff, work. You know, just everything I wasn't doing before, I started doing this time around, and it it made all the difference in the world. Just cutting out the distractions. You know, wasn't going out to the bars anymore. Wasn't even. I mean, I dating. You name it. I I shut off everything, <laughs> and just said, so, okay, I'm gonna knock this thing out uh, as quickly as I can. And, and, and just, you know, the the goal at that point was if I build your flight time and move on, and that was the mindset I took.
0: Yeah. So just total mind shift. And so how was, I guess, the second half of your training? Remarkably different.
1: Remarkably different. I mean, it was, I didn't fail a stage check. You know, I went from failing one almost guaranteed every time, you know, oral flight, oral flight, whatever the case is, uh, to this time around, I, you know, didn't fail one more time. Uh, the, the only stage check I did fail after that was actually during my CFI uh, flight portion check ride, and it was only at the end because I stopped teaching S turns when we're, when I was demonstrating them. <laughs> I felt like the guy just wanted to fail me to fail me at that point. But outside of that, I never failed again. Yeah. Um. And, you know, which was remarkable because, uh, you know, that you know it was completely different. I was a completely different person, different student, I should say, at that point.
0: Yeah. So, do you think you maybe just weren't totally ready the first time around, or for the first half of your training?
1: Sure, I, I think there is a there is a a fair way to say that I maturity. You know, maybe I, I just wasn't uh, I wasn't mature enough to handle the 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 work that it required to you know, to, to go through flight school, then the demand. I mean people who who do it who are in it understand it. You know, it, it it takes a lot of work and a lot of, you know, extra studying, reading, memorization, all that stuff. And yeah. you know, that that was just stuff that I didn't really do in in my normal, you know, schooling. So, you know, it was, it was completely different for me. I just didn't, I didn't have that kind of discipline. And I think that's the other part was the discipline. I lacked a discipline. Um, to to understand, you know, I need to study harder, I need to study differently, I need to put more time in than maybe what it would take other people. And none of those are bad, you know, none of those are bad um, scenarios. It's just, I think, for any student who's struggling, being able to understand that, you know, it just takes uh, a little tweaking of maybe how you study, how you internalize information, how you prepare yourself, all of those you know, um, aspects of flight training, I didn't really grasp or have the maturity to truly discipline myself at that time, you know, when I was struggling so much. And once I figured that out, it was a a complete game changer.
0: Yeah. How old were you when you first started? I mean, you had just graduated high school, right? So,
1: so yeah, so I was, I, well, I started flight training. Uh, I would have been 19. Okay. Um, yeah, started 19 and then, um, I became a flight instructor, uh, at, uh, I want to say it was August of 2008. I was hired and I was 23 turning 24 okay. when I became a flight instructor. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I think I was kind of like you and probably still, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be a walk in the park, but I had no idea what I was getting into when I started, you know, I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to learn some stuff. I'll have to learn how to fly a plane. And then we're in class and we're learning about aeromedical factors. So how that inner <laughs> ear works. And it's just like, Whoa, <laughs>
1: yeah. I wasn't yeah.
0: expecting this.
1: <sighs> yeah. It, it, there's a lot. There, there's so much to it. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, I know you're, you're, you know, you're working on your, your, your flight certificate, right? and a perfect example. There's so much information And I, I, I just think the average person out there, you know, doesn't understand what really goes into, you know, getting through all of that. There, there's so much information. It goes, it goes beyond just understanding how to fly an airplane. (laughs) You know, Uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. It is.
0: Yeah. So you become a flight instructor, and uh, how, how long are you, you instructing at U N D Phoenix?
1: Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, that Rex had, at this point, Rex had taken over the program there and, uh, I, I developed a really good relationship with Rex and, and to this day, he's one of my good friends. Um, he, he was a, he was a big proponent of me, not only just becoming a flight instructor, but also, you know, ultimately becoming a corporate pilot. You know, we can touch on that down the road here, but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, worked through, uh, when we were, when I was going through my, uh, CFI, you know portion of training you know the ground school and the flight training uh you know Rex was pretty clear to all of us applicants at that time that we were essentially you know applying for a job that whole semester he was looking at us as if you know for for potential employment so you know uh knowing that that that, that could possibly possibly be you know where I land myself as a flight instructor I really wanted to 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 do well and 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 I worked my butt off to make sure that at the end of all that, he, you know, he at least wanted to offer me an opportunity, which, uh, he did, you know, we, uh, I interviewed, he, he offered me a job in, in the fall for the fall semester of 2008. And, uh, that's kind of, you know, I, from there, I, so I had my CFI at that point, I knocked out my double eye, um, that fall while I was working as a flight instructor and then didn't, uh, I, I didn't pursue the MEI. uh, For about another year and a half or so, because there really wasn't any reason for me to do it at that point. Again, we were a much smaller program back then. There was only like five instructors, and we only had one, you know, twin engine airplane, one Seminole that we shared with the Spokane campus at the time. They had a site there. I don't think they have one there anymore. Um, So you know, we 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 weren't there. Wasn't the multi engine um, workload, so to speak. So I I had to kind of wait in line, wait my turn. Uh, But once. I was next in line, I got my multi-engine, my my MEI. And then, uh, you know, at that point, uh, we were, our our program was growing quite a bit. We moved into a new building and uh, we had gone from, you know, five instructors to 12 and to 15, and, you know, from 20 students to now working with 75, 80 students. So we were starting to grow quite a bit. And uh, I actually ended up getting into a position where I became a lead flight instructor, Uh, the first one because of the contract that we had gotten with a, uh, with an airline from, uh, Taiwan. And, and that was really, that was really, uh, a, a special you know kind of time period, not just for myself, but for UND as a whole, um, what that kind of brought there. We had never had anything like that before, you know, that was always up at the Grand Forks campus. So, uh, that was a cool experience to, to work with, um, you know, these cadets from, uh, from Taiwan and, and, you know, the instructors that I had around me to, that I was, you know, managing in part were just fabulous, and uh, it was a really cool experience. Um, you know, I was teaching ground school and all that stuff as well on the side, but that was truly, um, I think, the the highlight of becoming a flight instructor was seeing where it started and then ultimately where, when I left, where we were. It, it was kind of cool just to see all that come together.
0: Yeah, and that's a lot of responsibility for you to be the first lead flight instructor.
1: Yeah. I, and I, and I, yeah, it was, it was, a, I was, a uh, uh, you know, an honor to, to even, you know, Be considered be consir- let alone, exactly. let alone yeah. get
0: the position and
1: right. Right. It was, it was, it was a, it was a special, special moment for me. Um, you know, and I, I don't, you know, I mean, again, I, I know up in Grand Forks, you know, they have tons of leads, right. They have multiple leads cause they're so big. Um, and, and, and not to diminish anything from those lead fighting structures. Cause it's a, it's, a, it is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a responsible, uh you know role uh, a role that i should say has a lot of responsibility to it and uh you know to so to have that down at phoenix you know kind of their first true lead position be offered down there yes that was that was a i was very uh very honored to have that
0: yeah what was the transition for you going from student to instructor i mean do you remember your first lesson as an instructor where you're teaching a private pilot the, yeah, fundament, I, the fundamentals, I mean, what what was going on in your mind on that day?
1: You know, to be honest with you, I, you know, and, and I understand, you know, not everyone loves, you know, not everyone wants to be a flight instructor. Some people do it because they know they have to, to build time. Most people are looking to get in and get out as quickly as they can. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that mindset. I, I was, I was looking so forward to becoming a, an instructor. I, the, the idea of teaching to me, I thought was, you know, the coolest thing you could be doing. Uh, and uh, it, it, so for me, working with the students the first day, I, I loved it. I mean, it, it just was, you know, and, and I will say too, I think in part because I struggled so much as a student in my early, you know, portion of, uh, of becoming a, a, a pilot, you know, that I was able to, you know, relate to students and be able to also, I think kind of help them understand how they need to approach this, Whereas I didn't have that as much when I was going through it, you know, my instructors, and again, not their responsibility per se, but I didn't have an instructor that would it was able to really work with me and say, hey, you know, I think that you need to reevaluate how you're preparing yourself, or reevaluate how you're studying, or you know, it was just you don't get it, you don't get it, you're not trying. It's like, well, you know, I I just didn't have that kind of guidance, and again, not that that's anyone's responsibility, but my own but it would have been helpful you know, to, say, yeah. to, to, and, say, to say the least. So. And
0: since you went through that, you were able to impart that knowledge onto your students and look at it through their lens, maybe more so than, than other instructors.
1: I, I think so. I think that's a good way to say it is, yeah, I, I just, when it was not every student, you know, uh, it, it needed that, but uh, certainly I had, I had uh, a decent amount that did. And I felt like, you know, uh, I was able to help them a lot earlier on than maybe, you know, uh, had they not, you know, uh, been my students. So, you know, th- those are things I took pride in, uh, because I, you know, I know, I know what they're going through.
0: Yeah. So you instructed for what, like five and a half years total?
1: About five and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. A long time.
0: <laughs> yeah. So then what's next? You get, a you get a, what's your next job?
1: So, so that, that's, what's kind of funny. So, you know, I, you know, again, going back to, you know, everyone kind of has the mindset of, you know, you become a flight instructor, then you go to the airlines and that was what 99% of people, uh, that were ahead of me were doing. And my coworkers were doing that. And, you know, I, it wasn't, and and there's, but let me, you know, preferences too saying I have nothing against the airlines. There's nothing with nothing wrong going to the airlines. It is a, a great career path uh but you know at the time you know this is you know go back to circa you know 2011 2012 you know the airlines weren't what they are today uh they were still there many of them were still struggling to even offer competitive pay you know and that you know and still long long uh you know long seniority lines you know cetera, right you know it so for me and that at a side even you know those those are concerns of mine but it was actually for me it was the the environment i you know i liked being in a management position i liked teaching i liked having more personal uh relationships with with people and it was a conversation with rex actually um which you know you may or may not know this but rex has a a corporate background uh not a real long one but he, he he before he took over the und site down there in phoenix he um he was flying as a corporate pilot and uh you know, he had a him and I had a we were sitting down for lunch one day, you know, during lunch break, and uh he kind of just talked to me about, you know, I I just can't see you uh, being happy long term as an airline pilot. He said, I just don't know if it fits your personality. And <laughs> he was right. Um, you know, but I never really thought about it like that. And so, you know, when uh the opportunity came to become a lead flight instructor, he, you know, he was like, I think this would be a great opportunity for you, not only to grow into a manager role, but also You know, this would set you up for, you know, possible corporate opportunities, Um, and you know, I I bought in and I said, you're right. You know, you're right. This would be a great experience, and so I did that. And uh, about a year later, so I you know I become the lead flight instructor. We're managing this contract, uh, and I'm I'm doing all that that comes with that uh, that job. And I start networking with uh, companies locally. So you know, I I live here in Mesa, and I started networking with flight departments out of Scottsdale. And, it, it happened, it turns out that, uh, that my first, you know, my first true, uh, interaction with a, a chief pilot was, uh, for PetSmart. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to get his contact information, the chief pilot's contact information. I started, you know, pounding with emails, <laughs> trying to, 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 take him out to lunch or, or just come and talk with him. And it's, you know, I just wanted to pick his brain, right. Just get any kind of information I could about being a corporate pilot. And so, you know, I think after annoying him enough, he finally, uh, he finally agreed to meet with me and he had me come out to the hangar and meet, meet at his office and we talked for a good hour and then we went out to lunch and, uh, you know, they weren't hiring. They weren't, I mean, and certainly I don't think they were ever looking to hire somebody who has never flown a jet before. Uh, but, you know, he he was the the, I, the irony was that the chief pilot of PestSmart at the time was a former UND graduate himself. Um, so we all, you know, we had that commonality right out the gate. But, uh, you know, it worked out where, you know, he uh, we, we, we we had our lunch. I picked his brain. He gave me some good tips to, you know, take with me going forward in terms of networking and just keep, you know, keep introducing myself, get my name out there and something will happen. Well, you know, it turns out. Three months later, they ended up laying off one of their pilots, and uh, he reached out and asked if I wanted to interview for the first officer position, that they were going to have multiple candidates. But, you know, if I wanted to interview, and certainly I, I, I did, and, uh, you know, was uh, to, to, to speed things up, essentially did the whole interview process and was offered a job. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: It was. It, it changed everything for me at that point um you know so that yeah that's what's crazy about it
0: yeah what how do uh how do you network in aviation i mean for people like myself or even younger than than i am in terms of training wise or even low time low hour flight instructors what advice do you have for networking where do you go who do you talk to how do you find people
1: Uh, that's a great great question and i think um yeah, I think and it's a, it's a it is definitely a uh, a lost practice. Uh, so, you know, going back to answer your question there, I think the first thing you can do as a flight instructor or even a, even if you're a student who's just thinking that's the route I kind of want to go, it, it never hurts to start early. You know, we always think we want to wait till we're in a good position to to start networking. Start networking tomorrow if you can. You know, uh, and and by networking, you know things that you can do locally going to, you know, so Arizona has, uh, uh, AZBAA, uh, Arizona business aircraft association. And they have, I think they have monthly meetups and, uh, you know, for the most part, those are available to anyone who wants to attend. They host them at different locations around the Valley, different FBOs, different airports. Um, you know, and you don't, you know, you can just show up. Um, I think they do have a a paid membership, uh, to to you know to kind of support the whole program but it's it's basically everything business aviation in arizona and you'll you'll meet all sorts of pilots and 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 companies who are there maintenance people um, that's a great way to start uh, outside of that you know there's websites that you can go to um you know that uh like uh, bizjets uh, i believe it's called bizjets.com um you know uh like b i z Um, they have a directory of all, you know, you can search by state and, and get pretty much contacted for every flight department that's listed, you know, for their chief pilot or the director of aviation. Uh, they'll have their email and sometimes their phone number. And again, just something as simple as sending them an email, uh, you know, introducing yourself, a little bit of background about what you're, you know, you're trying to maybe break into that that market. And you'd like to, you know, just sit down and talk with them. Not, you know, you're not, I, you know, I, I would say the biggest thing is, you know, don't don't make it so much about you know you want a job as more as more about you want to learn. You want to understand what this world is like. You want to you know you want to be able to ask questions and 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 talk to the people who are doing it, living it. And I think you know if you do that and you have uh, you know you're you're approachable, you're you know you're uh, you can communicate well. I think you know those are things that companies are looking for. They're looking for applicants that aren't just going to be good pilots, but are going to be able to represent. The, you know, the company well because at the end of the day, in a lot of cases, you're flying executives, you're flying, you know, high level people. And, you know, they want, they, they want to make sure that the people that they have in those cockpits are, uh, are representing, you know, the company culture, you know, and so that's, that's kind of what I think uh, a lot of people need to realize when they're going after these jobs is, you know, they're not just looking for a pilot because, you know, and these corporate jets and private jets, they're you know, they don't have cockpit doors, you know, they have curtains. And a lot of times you don't even close the curtains, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's, a- you, it's much more personable. You're, you're, you're talking to the passengers. You're interacting with the passengers, you know, they know your name, they know your family to a degree. So.
0: Yeah. I think it, from what it sounds like, it kind of goes back to you want to be somebody that, uh you can talk to or you want to be somebody that if you got the water cooler in the office people want to talk to you kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that I mean it, you know flying is important and obviously having the skill sets to do all that uh you know standardization and and checklist usage all that is very important and you would te- does a, does the a great job with
0: that like the technical right. skills of it but you also got to be a good inviting Interesting person.
1: Yeah, personable. Be able to, you know, be able to communicate well. Um, you know, be able, you know, uh present yourself well. I mean, these are these are things that maybe some might feel like, well, you know, why is that important? You know, for corporate and private, it just it is. You're flying, you know, because you know, and another thing to think about, you know, when you're flying for a private side, you know, for a personal owner, uh, you know, a lot of times you're flying, you know, you're flying their family around, right? You're flying their kids, their grandkids, you're, you know, so they're 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 entrusting you you know, with, with the people that are most important in their life. And in every aviation job, you know, the role is very serious, right? We, we all carry the burden of people's lives in our hands. So it doesn't matter if you're on the airlines, corporate, private, whatever. But again, the fact that, you know, the airline, you don't ever really see the pilots, right? The pilots don't ever really interact with the passengers.
0: But corporate and private, it's different.
1: Cor- it's completely different. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you've mentioned a couple times, and for people who don't know, what is a chief pilot?
1: So a chief pilot uh, oftentimes is the, you know, managerial uh, role of uh, of a given flight department, and and sometimes it can be a part. A department is big enough to where they have a chief pilot and a director of aviation. Uh, both of which can sometimes be interchangeable depending on the size of the department. Sometimes a chief pilot also has responsibilities that you would often find with the director of aviation. Uh, but typically a chief pilot is in charge of the pilots. Um you know where they are going to work directly with uh you know making sure the pilots are are trained, have, you know, are all their certificates are up to date. They typically deal with you know any issues that arise with pilots, they, they, they handle the, they'll handle the, the crewing, uh, you know, pairing of pilots, you know, again, this can vary sometimes depending on how big the flight department is. Um, Sometimes the chief pilot also will be in charge of overseeing the maintenance, overseeing the entire operation of the flight department, and then being the liaison between the owners and, you know, the, the pilots, the maintenance people, whatever the case may be. Uh, So that's typically in, in most flight departments, that's typically what you're going to see. The chief pilot's going to, you know, kind of have various hats along that um, that role. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so typically, if they have a director of aviation as well, then the director of aviation will kind of have complete oversight where they, you know, they will deal directly with the chief pilot who will then deal with the pilots, but then they'll also, you know, deal directly with the director of maintenance. And then they'll be the ones that are only talking to, you know, the key owners, principals of the company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you network your way into a position, and obviously you're qualified and have experience, not strictly just networking, but through networking, you get in with Petco. And Pet Smart. Pet Smart. Pet Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, uh, is that a two pilot crew?
1: So PetSmart Smart uh, was a, uh, they had two airplanes, two, um, they had a Falcon 2000 Classic and a Challenger 604. So
0: explain these planes for people that don't know.
1: Right. So those are your those are your, those are your pretty good sized business jets. They're they're you know they're 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 what's considered large or you know large heavy uh, heavy jets in the business aviation world. You know they'll 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 seat uh, 11 to you know 12 passengers, and they typically you know uh, they're 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 true coast to coast airplanes for the most part. The 604. Okay. The six hundred four, I never actually flew, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rattle off stats for that airplane. But the Falcon two thousand, I did fly, um, and uh, that airplane, yeah, you know, it's a coast to coast airplane carrying passengers. You know, could go up to forty seven thousand feet. Um, you know, would cruise at at eight zero. You know, um, so uh, good, uh, high performing, you know, business jet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So two person crew or one person? Crew? I'm sorry.
1: Yes. Two person crew. Yep. So then your first officer, right seat. Yep. So well, the way they did it and, and a lot of businesses will do this, we'll will, will structure it this way. Typically. Um, when I went to go get my type rating, so, you know, you, you go to get a type rating for any jet, you're going to fly specific to that airplane. Um, I actually went in as a, uh, a, you know, you get a PIC type rating. So, even though I wasn't uh, a captain per se, um, and yeah, they didn't hire me. They hired me as a they, they hired me as a first officer. I was you know, but I I had a pilot in command type rating, so I could sit in the left seat and I could fly in the left seat um, at any time. I, I had the uh, type rating to do that. Okay, uh, and, and that's what I did, you know, and, and that's how Petsmart did. I mean, anytime anytime you were the flying pilot, you sat in the left seat. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like the airlines where you're going to sit in the right seat, you know, for several, you know, whatever, however long it takes. And then you upgrade to captain, then you move to the left. They kind of treat you almost as if you're a captain right out the gate, um, you know, which, uh a lot of companies will do it that way. Not all. Some will structure it where you are first officer and you've got to work your way up. It just depends, you know.
0: Yeah. And you said that one was that job was pretty short lived just cuz the uh operations shut down
1: right so that job uh i i was only there for a year um you know i started with them in uh november of you know 2013 and i uh we were we were unfortunately laid off uh basically almost a year later october october 31st was my last day there okay so, so yeah they had, they they sold the company and uh you know the 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 the, the company that bought bought PetSmart at the time, uh, they didn't need the flight department.
0: Okay. yeah. So then what's next for you?
1: So at that point, you know, that was kind of a, I was in a kind of a, a weird position because on one end I had a year of experience flying, you know, flying for a really reputable company who had been around for a long time with their flight department. I had a good type rating, you know, in the Falcon 2000. Uh, I also had a type rating. They had given it to us, um, as part of our severance package, they, sent us to school for type ratings on the challenger uh 350 uh, 300 350 which that was the airplanes they were going to buy next but that never happened because of the merger or the the buyout so you know i ended up leaving this job after being it for a year with two type ratings uh and you know i had about maybe 200 hours of flying the jet um so not a lot of time but enough time to where i was starting to get a little bit of a uh, you know experience with it, feeling comfortable yeah. um but you know that was, you know, getting on with PetSmart when I did was kind of a, you know, it's not a, it's not a real common, I should say, a real common path. So I need to get, I needed to get a lot more jet time, and then, and I ended up going to uh, a company called Exojet, which uh, was a great company. Uh, you know, I think now they're VistaJet. I think they were bought out by a company called VistaJet. So they're 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 still kind of out there, but they're under a different name, I believe. And they had challenger 300s so you know going back to i had the type rating that uh, for an airplane they were flying and so uh, i interviewed with them and uh because they didn't need to send me to school to get my type rating i just you know they they hired me up in march of 2015 so i took a couple months off after i got laid off from PetSmart, and i actually went back to und and just did check rides for uh for und because i was still current um so that's another lesson to always always, always maintain good relationships with your previous employers because you never know when you're going to need them. Yeah. But, um, they, uh, you know, Rex brought me back on and I was just knocking out stage checks for him, helping out with the workload there. And it kept me current, which was good. Um, kept me proficient. So I got on with Exojet, uh, March of 2015 and flying, I was flying the Challenger 300 as a first officer. Um, uh, but that was a great job in the sense of, you know, it's 135, it's charter, You know, you're, 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 you're going anywhere and everywhere around the country. Um, I would be gone for a week, home for a week, gone for a week, home for a week, and it just repeated itself uh, for the whole year. But um, some of the, you know, best experience I've had just in terms of exposure, you know, to, to winter flying, to high altitude, airport flying, you know, talking, you know, uh, Aspen, you know, uh, yeah. tell a ride, you know, and then going down to the Bahamas, going to Hawaii, go, I mean, you name it, you did it. So the exposure was great. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that gave me a lot more, a lot more confidence, you know, as much as I loved PetSmart and PetSmart was by all accounts, a dream job, you know, once that went away, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of experience to tap into uh, just yet. So ExoJet gave me that.
0: So explain 135 to people who don't know.
1: Yeah. So 135 is the uh, side of the regulations, uh, FARs apply to uh, charter, you know, charter flying, uh, basically meaning that you are flying for a, a certificate holder that has, you know, typically several airplanes under their certificate and people, you know, charter these airplanes out almost as if you're, you know, just like if you were going to be, you know, renting a car, they rent the airplane for, uh, you know, a given trip. and. So you are a pilot that is assigned to this airplane. And for, for example, in ExoJet's case, the way they structured it, they have clients who have accounts with them, you know, pay, pay for so many hours a year with them. And when they want to go somewhere, they call up ExoJet or they go through their, through their representation and they say, okay, I need to go from Phoenix to Hawaii tomorrow. And, you know, and I'm going to do it. I want to do it on the Challenger. So then, Exojet will find out who's on the Challenger, who's available on the on the road for that week, where the airplane is, and they'll put you in position to do that flight.
0: Okay, um, so that could be a couple pretty wealthy friends wanting to go on vacation, or a business thing. It could be kind of anything, right?
1: It could be anything. Yeah, we flew. I mean, there there oh. there are clients. I mean, we flew celebrities. You know, we flew high uh, high net worth uh, executives and CEOs of, of major companies. Uh, You know, because not every company has their own airplane. Um, And even ones that do, it's not unheard of for them to have accounts with places like ExoJet or NetJets as kind of a supplemental, you know, uh, resource for them, If, if, if you know, if their jet that they have for the company is down for maintenance, you know, or is going through a, a maintenance inspection is going to be down for a couple of weeks. Well, then they have these backup accounts that they'll you know they'll use. Yeah. Um, so you know, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, you, you name it, you, you know, wealthy people, businesses, celebrities. I mean, mm-hmm. it, yeah, we flew them all.
0: Are you allowed to say any cool celebrities you flew?
1: I can now because yeah, I'm no longer under the uh, the NDA for them. But yeah. uh, I would say out the top of my head, there was several. But the ones that stood out the most to me, um, you know, uh, I guess I would say that are the, that are most notable for most people: uh, Brad Pitt, Will Smith, uh, Brett Favre, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, those are some of the ones that really stand out to me, and they're they were all they were all really nice passengers. You know, they were all. Uh, there, there's a handful of others and some were, you know, n- you know, not, none of them were nasty, but some were definitely more friendlier than others. Yeah. That
0: uh, pre- that's pretty cool.
1: It was, it, yeah. There'd be times where I'd, I'd look at the, uh, the manifest as we're getting it for that day. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> 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 you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, that, that was kind of a fun aspect of the job was, yeah,
0: know, I bet. Yeah. And then yeah. if you're flying Phoenix to Hawaii, you're just staying there with the plane, right?
1: Yeah, so a lot of times they would do it where, you know, it, uh, they have to meet, you know, certain rest requirements just like the airlines do. So uh, a flight like that would oftentimes, yeah, you would, when you land in Hawaii, you would probably be off for a good, you know, anywhere from a good 12 to 24 hours more like, more than likely. Uh, but you're right, you're staying with the airplane. So they, you know, they, they, the company, ExoJet, in this case, would take care of the hotel reservations for where you're going, Um and get your car if you need it, whatever the case is. You know, they kind of take care of all the back-end stuff. So all you have to really worry about is getting the passengers from A to B. Um, and then, yeah, you would stay at the airplane and, and wait for your next assignment for the week uh, yeah. or, for the, you know, for the next day. And sometimes you get something, and sometimes you're just kind of sitting on standby. They're saying, we've got nothing for you right now. Sit tight. We may have something tomorrow, you know. And when those happen, you're kind of like, all right, right, you're you know, you're not – you're not completely free to do whatever you want, but you're kind of on a, a little bit of a paid vacation, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you get lucky with that. Yeah.
0: So Exojet, how long were you with them?
1: So I was with Exojet, uh, from the March of 2015 until September of 2016. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and you know, the thing with that is again, um, I'll kind of reiterate this networking, right? Networking and, and keeping a good name uh, attached for yourself throughout this industry uh, I, is something that I really encourage anyone who's wanting to come up. And, and this goes for the airlines as well. Reputation and aviation is huge. Um, when I left PetSmart, you know, PetSmart was with a really, they, they had their airplanes that are really, uh, Prominent hangar facility at Scottsdale, and you know that that hangar housed housed accounts for multiple different companies, and the people who ran that facility, the you know the director of aviation, the the uh, you know chief maintenance inspector, and other pilots who still were working there. Well, when when a when an opportunity came up that they were looking, they had a, a new owner come in who was going to bring in their Challenger three hundred, and he needed pilots well, I got a call from the director of basically the director of operations at that hangar. Uh, cause he knew I was flying a challenger and he knew that I, you know, really wanted to be, that's what I wanted to be doing. And so I got a call from him asking if I'd be interested with in this new opportunity, this guy's looking for a pilot to manage his airplane and, you know, bring on a, another pilot. And he, you know, he wants to have two guys crew in his airplane. So, uh, I got that call in probably August of 2016 and, uh, by yeah. End of September, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working for this wealthy real estate developer who owns his own Challenger 300. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
0: So I'm sure you're going on some business trips or getting him to business trips, but he's probably taking the family on vacation, right? He is. So then How's that look? If you're going to, we'll just use Hawaii again, if they want to go to Hawaii for a week, you just get to hang out in Hawaii for a week, right?
1: So that's kind of, yes. So that's kind of the cool thing about this side of the industry. Um, and, you know, anyone who's experienced it can can attest that, you know, sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's not. And every owner is different and every scenario is different. Sometimes, you know, they want you to stay with the airplane and sometimes they're, you know, you're free to go home. And, and just come back out when they're ready to leave. So it just depends. And, and in most cases, and I'll use an exact trip. Um, we actually flew this owner to Iceland, um, him and his family to Iceland. And uh, you know, we stayed in Iceland. You know, they were going to be there for about four or five days, and then we we're going to take them out to Norway, stay in Norway for a couple of days, and then fly them home. And we were going to stay with them for the entire duration of the trip. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean you're hanging out with them once you're there. You know, you're kind of doing your own thing, right? You have your own hotel. You have your own car you and you and your co-pilot are typically going to just go out and have your own little adventure. Yeah. Um, you know, so it is, it's kind of a fun little perk of, of that side of it. And, you know, uh, and like I said, sometimes not always, but sometimes you stay, Yeah, you stay and and, and we'll hang out with, you know, where the, where the plane is. And then other times if they're going to be, you know, in Hawaii for two weeks, a lot of times it doesn't make sense to stay there. I mean, you'll just, you know, they'll pay for you to airline home. Um, and that way you can be home with your family or, you know, if you have kids, all that kind of stuff, you know, and then you just airline back out at a set date down the road to come back and pick them up. Yeah. So, you know, and it is can that, work. Yeah.
0: Is that who you're currently with or did you?
1: No, no. Okay. So that, yep. So that job, I, I, that job was kind of a, of a, of a an interesting one because the uh, you know, it was a first time what we call first time jet owner. You know, never owned an airplane before, um, and when you're dealing with a first-time airplane owner, there's a lot of uh, educating that has to happen from my role. So I was his chief pilot, and you know, granted, there's only one airplane, and I I brought on another fellow ExoJet, you know, captain at the time to work with me. So together, him and I were, you know, uh, representing this guy's flight department, and there was just you know, for 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 nothing else, it just wasn't the um, it wasn't just it wasn't a great pairing um personality wise uh it, it you know him and i got along on a on a on a professional level but there were certain things that uh he he wanted done a certain way that i just wasn't comfortable doing and so for you know for for no other reason than just this wasn't going to work in the long term i uh, i stayed with him for almost 2 years and then i i i left when i had another opportunity that made sense mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and so you know for nothing else that's that's what happened that that account it just sometimes you get paired up with you know with owners or businesses companies that just you know that like i said they're not all the same so you have to kind of find yourself with one that represents a culture and uh you know a quality of life aspect that, that fits your needs and, and that that can change
0: yeah. so
1: yeah so so basically I went from him Flying his airplane, managing his account, to working for a uh, same airport, same hangar. They had two airplanes, uh, two Falcons, and uh, they were looking to hire a pilot. And so, you know, they they had an opening. I applied, and it was a healthcare, uh, basically a a real estate investment trust company uh, that that operated in the healthcare sector. Um, So, strictly a company type uh, operation at this point.
0: Okay, and then after that. Is that when you got on with the trucking company?
1: That's right. Yep, and that's what I'm with now. So yeah, now yeah yeah now I'm applying for an owner, a private owner who he owns his own company and the jet that they bought he uses it for personal use and the business uses it for their you know for their needs. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yes. You're pretty happy with where you are now.
1: I am good mix? It is. It's a good mix. It's a good quality of life uh you know we're 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 flying uh you know about 200 to 250 hours a year which you know that that's kind of that can be kind of misleading um a lot of times people will go by that to decide whether or not you know the work-life balance is there but um you know we we're we're typically working about eight to ten days a month on average
0: not Um, bad
1: not bad. Not bad. <laughs> you know, it's not bad. So, you know, sometimes you might find yourself working 12 to 15 if they have a busy month or if something happens. And then there's, there's been a month where I didn't do anything. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's a good balance. And, and more importantly, the, um, uh, just the, the people that I work for, you know, they're, they're, they're just, you know, your your good, you know, blue collar kind of mentality, uh, owners and, and, and executives, yeah. uh, they, you know, they, they know your name, they shake your hand, they ask how you're doing, how your family is, uh, you know, they, um, yeah, they, they have, they have a general interest in your well being, which, you know, it seems easy enough for most, you know, most, most jobs, but you'd be surprised sometimes how, how hard that is to get from, from people you work with. Yeah. So. No, I can
0: understand <laughs> that. Yeah. So how much, I mean, you've had a really cool career in my opinion, and I think a a lot of people would also agree unique experiences. Sounds like some pretty cool planes to fly a great schedule, some pretty cool passengers. How much do you contribute to UND preparing you for this world in aviation?
1: Boy, you know, I would say from a, well, from a, from a flying standard, you know, from, from, having proper standardization structure, you know, checklist usage, um, o- overall just operational awareness, situational awareness is more appropriate. Uh, UND, I think does a tremendous job in that arena. Um, you know, they, it, I, I can't speak enough about how much of that has played a role in just being able to adapt quickly. So, you know, I think the keys to being a, a, a good pilot in any side of the industry airlines cargo private you have to be a chameleon and and what i mean by that is personality wise you are going to be dealing with different personalities on a regular basis and being able to kind of uh, adapt your personality you know to those people that you're applying what they're working for i think is going to decide how hard your career is or not but from a from a standardization standpoint being able to go from one airplane to the next you know, whether you're flying a business jet or flying airline or whatever the case may be, having that foundation of standardization and and proper checklist usage.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, checklist usage, which I only know part 141 schools. And I've heard people say, oh, yeah, we don't use the checklist or we might glance at it. But from day one, it was use your checklist, use your checklist. It's. I mean, it seems so silly to me to not use it. But yeah, I was just going to bring that up as an example.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, and And trust me, I was I remember being in that, you know, being as a student and even as, even as an instructor, it's hard sometimes. And I'm sure you can appreciate this as well. Being in a position you're in is sometimes it's hard to really, you know, uh, take Take what you're, you know, what you're, what you're being told and what you're being taught or what you're teaching about checklist usage and and and, and going through all this and the importance of flows and, and et cetera. It, it's hard sometimes to visualize how is that really going to be applied at my next level, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, until you get there. Then you're like, wow, it all kind of comes full circle now, because, again, you know, when you're flying for a private company charter, I mean, you have to be able to do all this stuff and that the ones that are successful the ones that keep themselves safe the ones that avoid you know um making kind of you know uh, unnecessary errors are the ones who you can tell have the have the training background that emphasize standardization, structure checklist usage because that's yeah. what, that's that's what keeps everyone on the same page you know mm-hmm. um and you can tell when you're flying with somebody who has that background or has a strong background in that and when sometimes you're flying with somebody who doesn't and I'll tell you, it it makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. Are you with the same co-pilot? Do you just have kind of one colleague or is there a a couple of you?
1: So, so my current employer, my current job, there's just two of us. And and, and that's not uncommon when there's just one airplane. Sometimes you might, sometimes you might have three pilots total. Uh, my last job, you know, we had two airplanes and five pilots, uh, which is a typical number you'll see, um, you know, it it really just depends on the demand that the company or the owner has of the airplane uh, that will dictate whether or not you need to have X amount of pilots. Um, Because, you know, if you're not flying a whole lot, if you're only flying, you know, eight to 10 days a month, like we are gone eight to 10 days a month, like we are, um, you know, we don't really need a third pilot. Um, And then if we need time off, You know, we take our vacation or we take our PTO and you hire what's called a contract pilot. Somebody who's experienced in that airplane has a type rating, is current and qualified, and they'll sit typically right seat for you for you to fly that day or that trip. Yeah. You know. So yeah. I mean, but you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you will work for a company that, yeah, you'll have five, six, seven pilots. Yeah. And so you'll fly with all those people.
0: Well, it's probably pretty nice to have one co-pilot and you can just get to know them, know how they work. I mean, obviously the goal in aviation is to have everything standardized, but having, you know, when I come into work here, I I know the people that are in the office next to me, if you go to the airlines, you might run into the same captain or first officer, but you're probably gonna be with different people. But I think it'd probably be pretty nice in your situation to have the person that you know and, Ask them how their week was and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, John. It, it it definitely helps. Uh well, again, it kind of it brings in that personal uh aspect of it, right? Um that, that's what, again another reason why I really appreciate this side of the industry because you you know you are you develop relationships with your coworkers that you don't you don't develop those kind of relationships, certainly not to that extent at the airlines. Yeah. Um, you know, you're yeah, you do you you know your co-pilots you know, uh, family, you know, about what they're doing when they're out flying, you you know, you know, about trips they go on. I mean, there's just, there's so much more, it's, uh, it's much more intimate, um, in, in that regard. And, and that's, you know, it's important that, you know, when you are working with these companies that, yeah, that's why they take such pride in who they hire, because you do, you know, when you're not, when you're not at home, you know, doing what you normally would do, spending time with your family, your friends, whatever the case is, you're with these people. That's what you're doing. That's your life. So, yeah. you know, it's important that you know that you get along and that you you guys all share common you know commonalities that that ultimately allow the department to to be successful.
0: Yeah. Do you have Do you have any days that stand out as like a terrible day of flying?
1: You know. I don't have a day that stands out that I'm like, you know, that, I mean, you know, you can have days where it's just crappy weather and, you know, you got your rocked, uh, you know, turbulence and, you know, passengers were, were concerned, that kind of stuff. I mean, that happens. Um, I, I, I will say that for me personally, rather, rather than picking one day that, you know, that was a bad day of flying. I mean, I, I've had situations where, you know, because Unforeseen events. Uh, I'll go back to this Iceland trip. When we flew that Challenger to Iceland, um, we actually end up uh, breaking down in Iceland. So we landed the airplane. Not, not nothing, nothing. You know, nothing critical in terms of, you know, mechanical, or anything like that. It's just we landed, and the airplane. As soon as we touched down, we got all these uh, what we call cast messages. Uh, basically, they're crew alert. You know, notifications about. In, th- in this particular case, it was. You know, we had a lot of different uh, alerts that didn't really make sense. So something was going on with the avionics. Something, you know, it was an electronic, you know, type of failure. Um, but you know, when it happens in Iceland, <laughs> you know, you're kind of you're kind of limited yeah. to the, the the troubleshooting you can have done. And so, long story short, with that, uh, you know, what was supposed to be a four day trip to Iceland, I end up having to stay there with my co-pilot for almost two weeks. Uh because Bombardier, you know, who the manufacturer of Challengers, um, and, and my maintenance back back in Scottsdale, the hang of the route of their their maintenance guys, you know, they're all trying to figure out what is going on with this airplane and the different parts that were getting flown in weren't fixing it, and the, the Bombardier techs that were on site trying to fix it were having, you know, a difficult time trying to diagnose what's going on. And and every time, you know, every time they needed a new part or a new, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, it, w- it would take another two days because nothing happens in Iceland quickly. Yeah. So, um, and so the, the reason why that was such a pain in the butt was because I, you know, I missed a, I was supposed to be in a wedding. I missed a friend's wedding that I was supposed to be in. Um, you know, my my co-pilot had a brand new baby at home, uh, you know, and that was kind of creating stress for him and his wife, uh, you know, so th- those kind of dynamics sometimes happen. And uh, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. You know, it's just it's kind of the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah, and you just have to be flexible, I guess, as, as you do. much as
1: it can be annoying. You know, you yeah, know I mean, what's gonna happen, but you gotta be ready for it. Right, and that, and that's what happens. It's just sometimes wow. flexibility. And I would say that in any side of the industry, but most on corporate side, business side, you, you gotta you gotta learn to be flexible and just understand that sometimes things are out of your control. You know, you're gonna break down, you're gonna have delays, you're not gonna catch your flight home, or weather's gonna dictate that you gotta stay longer, and that might mess with your plans. So you gotta you just gotta be flexible.
0: Yeah. And then a the counterpart to that question, do you have any days that stand out as like? an incredible, the best day flying or just any incredible trips that you've been able to go on through your jobs?
1: You know, I, I will say, uh, some of the more memorable ones that stand out to me are obviously I would say the first, the, the first time I did my, my, my first business trip with PetSmart where, you know, sitting in the right seat and I even sat in the left seat during that trip as well. But, you know, it started off just going down, you know, barreling down Scottsdale, you know, uh, you know, taking off runway two one, we've got passengers in the back, you know, they're all talking, doing their thing. And, um, you know, we're blasting off and we're, he- we're heading to Peterborough. And I just remember taking off and just, I couldn't help but I was just, I probably had a grin ear to ear just because it was kind of like, wow, you know, I, I this, is re- yeah, sure. this is really, this is really happening. Um, and it just, I was just so proud to, to be finally, you know, here I am feeling like I'm with the big boys, you know, and I'm on the radio and I'm, you know, sharing the radio frequency with the airline guys. And, you know, it's just that whole, the whole nostalgia of it all came together. And uh, that, that, that's one that definitely stands out. And then, yeah, I would say going to places like, uh, you know, even with my current job and flying to Costa Rica, uh, you know, uh, flying to, you know, the Bahamas, going to Iceland. I mean, these are places that I probably wouldn't have gone. Otherwise, you know, yeah. if I, if I didn't have this career. So those are, those are just, those are always memorable, memorable flights for me.
0: Yeah. Do you have, what is it like flying international? Are there unique challenges to that?
1: There are, there are. And, 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 you know, in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's just, it's just about prep work. Um, you know, obviously there are different procedures and, uh, you know, they do things a little bit differently over in Europe and, uh you know, parts of Asia, all that stuff. And I actually don't have, you know, a lot of exposure to that side. My international has all been, you know, going North into Canada or South into, you know, Mexico or, or, or Central America. Um, so, you know, Iceland is about as far East as I've gone. <laughs> you know? okay. So, you know, uh, so I wouldn't be able to tell you all the nuances of going over to Europe. I, I know about, it. I've done international training in preparation for trips that I was supposed to take and, and crew that never end up handing out. But um yeah, yeah, it's just it's just more of a, you know, there's just more nuances that you need to be aware of. But uh the nice thing with the business side of aviation is much like they have in airlines, you know, you hire you hire service companies, uh, we call them handlers, um, you know, and they and they pretty much take care of a lot of that lay work for you, you know, okay. uh, in terms of getting the, making sure you have the proper permits and you know, you have your, uh, your your landing slots, you know, times available. And I mean, they, they kind of do a lot of that. Your job is to make sure ultimately it's all there and it's all ready for you to take off. That's your job as a pilot command. But a lot of that stuff gets done for you, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sure. it nice. Or, or certainly they help you with it. So you have somebody to say, hey, you know, we're all good for this, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, a point of contact rather than just yeah. showing up in Iceland and saying, now what?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I so, got, I think two more questions for you since I think sure. we're running out of time. Do you have any goals that you're still working towards in aviation?
1: Ah, another good question. You know, I, so I always saw myself, uh, wanting to kind of, you know, take on the role of chief pilot again. Um, but I, I always saw myself doing it for, you know, uh, uh, a larger flight department, I, again, I like the aspect of kind of being in that management role, maybe being even a mentor, you know, I would love to be in a position at some point down the road to kind of pay it forward, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, much like what PetSmart did for me, you know, uh, because I, you know, when they hired me, I wasn't, I wasn't the the, the the most qualified person, uh, probably by a long shot, but their mindset was, you know, he's young, he's motivated, And he'll keep us on our toes as he's learning how to fly a jet, um, which is good for them. And I I really appreciated that thought process because I, you know, I would like to return that there sometime down the road as well. So, you know, I would say that whether or not I become a chief pilot again down the road, I don't know. That might be something I want to do. I love where I'm at now. And I would say more or less, I'd actually like to be in a position to pay it forward to someone else, you know, maybe hire somebody who is looking to get their start into, into corporate aviation. Um, you know, and give and give them that that leg up. Um, that that would be that would be that would mean a lot.
0: Real quick, you do have my my email, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I, got, I, I have a contact cool.
0: <laughs> No, but that's really cool to. Yeah, I mean, I think I've gotten jobs out there where someone took a shot on me, and I think it panned out for both of us. I got this cool experience, and was able to do the job and help them out. But yeah, I think that, I mean, remarkable of you to want to help somebody get their start somewhere down the line and just pay it forward or give it back to, cause you know where you came from. And yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And then you've been sprinkling advice throughout here the whole time, but I guess just key pieces of advice for Really, anyone in training um, or ready to enter the workforce as a pilot, what do you have for them?
1: Well, I would say, you know, for, you know, regardless um, of, of what, you know, what segment they're, 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 they're kind of aiming at or maybe they're, you know, maybe for those who aren't even sure yet. I mean, you know, definitely, you know, don't be afraid to kind of get out there and ask some questions, you know, meet people. Um, like I said, try to go to these, uh, these aviation group meetups. There's a lot of stuff online as well. Um, but you know, if regardless of if you know where you want to go, it's still important that, you know, you, you have to be able to, to, you know, keep, like I said, keep a, keep a nice, healthy reputation for yourself, treat people with respect, you know, work hard. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very small industry, even, even, and I, I, it's kind of cliche to say, but the reality is. That's exactly how, how how it is, both on the airline side and the private side. Um, so I would say, you know, when you when you're going through flight training, just focus on flight training right now. Don't worry so much about where I'm going to take this, because at the end of the day, you're going to have that option to choose. You know, um, focus on the flight training. Really, really, really try to understand, you know, why you're why you're learning all that and and the fundamentals of it, the the importance of the checklist usage and the standardization. Um, you know, really just focus on that. And then when you get to that level where you're, you know, you're a flight instructor and enjoy the flight instruction, I mean, that is such a pivotal, uh, component. I think of, of, a, of a good pilot is, you know, taking the time to, to be an instructor at least for, at least for a year or two, and just really enjoy that aspect of it because you learn so much as an instructor that you will carry on with you when you're becoming a, a first officer, because you're still in that role of I'm observing everything. I'm trying to manage everything. And you don't want to lose that skill. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, like I said, when, when, if you're, if you're trying to decide, well, do I go to the airlines or go to corporate? I mean, there's pros and cons to each. So, you know, you're not going to get one that fits all the, you know, checks all the, all, all all the buckets off. Um, You're going to have to kind of decide, you know, do I want, uh, you know, do I want uh, a nice, you know, just there's, there's stability. Uh, aspect of the airlines, which comes with the structure of I go to that airline, I build my seniority, I upgrade to Captain, I build that seniority and I retire. That doesn't always work out the way you think it should, you know. Um, and so from the corporate side of things, I would say it's more about, okay, you know, I want to try to get on with these companies or within this, you know, this arena and I want to make sure that uh, when I do that, I keep a good name and a good network. And uh, you know, I I I don't try to leave any job you know, on a, on a, on a bad on a bad rep, and you know you you'll, you'll find that you'll have success because I mean at the end of the day, people want to hire good people. Yeah, and you know that that's true for the airlines, that's true for the corporate side.
0: Yeah, for everything. Yeah. Well, Cameron, this was super interesting, very eye opening. I think there's a ton of good information out there or in the episode, and I just want to thank you for taking the time and sharing it with mm-hmm. us and talking about UND and how it helped and where you are now. And yeah, just thanks so much.
1: Absolutely. No, I appreciate you having me on. It was a pleasure to be here and uh, you know, best of luck to you as well. And you know, you have my number and, and for those who are, are wanting to ever learn more, you know, they can, uh, they can always reach out. Um, you know, I can, uh, I can leave an email or something like that 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 you guys are able to offer. So All I right. appreciate it, John. Thank you. Good luck to you, thank, sir.
0: Thank you. Yep. Safe. Thank you. Good. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the UND Aerospace Foundation podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode with our guest today. If you have any questions regarding flight training or what you heard today,
1: please don't hesitate to reach out so we can get those questions answered for you. Thanks.